All right. So good to join with you this morning. Well, it's certainly my morning, <laughs> 7 a.m. here. The sun is rising over the mountain in Kauai, Kapa'a. Oh, so grateful to join with you today and to pray together and to know the truth together. What a blessing it is. Mm. So, I'm going to begin with a couple of prayers uh, from Aurelia Louise Jones' prayers for the seven sacred flames and uh, our own prayer as well, of course. So, let's take that breath of love and gratitude together and be so grateful and so thankful for the love of God that's revealing itself in our heart, in our mind. So grateful and so thankful to join together for the holy purpose of remembering our true nature and our true identity as perfect love. It always has been and it always will be. We are grateful and thankful to call upon the higher Holy Spirit self, the I am that I am, remembering that it is our nature to be perfect, whole, and complete, pure at all times, in all situations and circumstances. Yes, we're claiming our purity, we're claiming the truth of our being, and we're grateful and thankful to open ourselves to the highest possibility of healing in this moment. We are the two or more gathered in the name and the nature of the Christ And we are opening ourselves to a revelation of our own Christedness and that Christ presence in every being, recognizing the holy altar of divine love burns in our heart. Yes, we are not separate from our perfection. We are not separate from our wholeness. Taking this breath of love and gratitude, we declare that we are worthy of the gift of our ascension in the light. We are willing to hold a divine vision for our life and for all beings. Yes, we are dedicating our time together to our awakening to our ascension in the light, to our accepting the atonement for ourselves. And so we are grateful and thankful to joyfully share the benefits of our healing and our expansion with everyone because we're one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So from Aurelia's Prayers to the Seven Sacred Flames, book code, page 38, flood the earth with radiant ascension flame. In the name of the victorious presence of God, I am. I call to the masters of light from the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood. Beloved Goddess of Purity, Beloved Serapis Bay, and the Brotherhood of the Ascension Flame at Luxor and Talos. Beloved Queen of Light and Beloved Angels of the Radiant, 
ascension plane. Flood every particle of life on earth with oceans and oceans of violet fire and ascension plane. Purify, illumine, and raise the consciousness of all life and all kingdoms evolving here. Let thy flame blaze, illumine, and expand like the light of a thousand suns. Purify our minds, memories, and feeling world from all blockages and negativity. Purify our bodies from all diseases and weaknesses. Flood our world with the snow-white radiance of the ascension flame purity. Saturate and purify until we become crystal clear, transforming all we contact with the radiant light of the ascension flame. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet flame. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet flame. Flood the earth with the radiance of the ascension fire. Cut us free to be with thee in the realms of eternal freedom and infinite perfection now and forever. And so be it, beloved I am, beloved I am, beloved I am. And then on page 42, healing through the resurrection flame. In the name of the presence of God, which I am, I call to beloved Jesus, beloved Mother Mary, and Archangel Raphael, angels of the healing ray, and all ascended beings serving the ray of healing. I ask that you direct your resurrecting flame of healing hourly through my mind, feelings, through every organ, glands, and areas in my body manifesting imbalances. I ask for the power of your healing light and the fires of the resurrection flame to keep my body in perfect health at all times to be a fit instrument of God on earth in the service of my monad and the ascended masters. I ask this for myself and for every man, woman, and child on this planet. Let the flame of resurrection restore my original blueprint of divine perfection. And so it is, beloved I am, beloved I am, beloved I am. Let's take that breath together. So grateful, so thankful. Yes, indeed. Hmm. Just resting in that high vibration. All right, I am going to unmute everyone so you can self-mute if that's needed. All right, we're now all unmuted. So we're going to continue our work with vision, divine vision, 
and we have the benefit of several people who have shared their vision with me, and I'm going to use it as a point of discussion. So, this, let's, before I do this, does anybody have any questions about this and doing this work? Has anybody encountered any questions? Anybody like to say hi? Yeah. Hi, this is Anna Marie. Hi. Hello. Hi, Anna Marie. Good morning. I, or I, good afternoon. Good morning. Yes, good morning or good afternoon. It's fine either way. And I have a question um, in the you unveiled mysteries on page 58 on the bottom. Saint Germain is saying, under no circumstances discuss either your desire or the fact that you are visualizing this, that you are visualizing with anyone whatsoever. And then it says this is imperative. I am just wondering how this applies how this yeah i'm so glad you brought that up because i was thinking about that this morning uh and talking about that and uh, the this is what i got when i tuned into that that this was written uh this information that saint germain gave to um the guy or Godfrey uh, about 70 years ago. And the things have changed since then. So this is what he said to Guy at that time. This was the instruction he gave to Guy. But that we are able to hold a vision for each other. So it might not be something that we would share with a friend or a family member, but in our sacred circle here of like-minded souls who are doing this work together, it it can be shared. And what uh, I got to suggest to people this morning was to work with two different visions of two different things. One, that they're sharing in the group, and asking the group to hold with them, and one that they're doing on their own, and see what the difference is, to have an experiment with it. How does that feel to you? Well, that's very interesting. It's certainly a, a good idea. Yeah, and somebody might get uh, another thought or idea, and um, I you know, I welcome that. Absolutely welcome that. Anybody else have a thought or a question about this or like to say hi? And I really appreciate your attention to that and bringing this up, Anna Marie. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So, um, going back to the vision, and what I'm getting is um, to... I was hoping that Angela might be here and might be able to discuss her vision, and Karen is not able to because uh, she's getting ready to, she's on her way, I guess. She and Rich are on their way to Europe. We send them blessings. So I am going to kind of discuss in a roundabout way. Um, one of the things about the vision is I do feel that it's it's not an intellectual exercise. It really is about holding it in our heart. And so, and it's not about so much what we're doing, although it can be about activity in the light. So, for me, it really is deeply transformational when we're holding that vision. And a couple things I'd like to share with you um, from, and it's just a little more challenging for me here today because I don't have the, so I'm holding my cell phone <laughs> to try and give you the best audio and working with my book from my computer, different tools here. It's, it's a bit easier when I'm on Skype and can wear my headset. So, um, one of the, the things that I got for us to add into our conversation here is from A Course in Miracles, Chapter 2, Section 5, it's my page 26, and looking at uh, paragraph 6, 7, and 8 here. And so, we're talking about holding a vision of our wholeness and our perfection, and seeing that ripple out into our life. Really, that's the vision that we're holding here. It's, yes, we'd like to bring things into manifestation of that. There's no question. But um, we're, what would be more valuable to us than to know the purity and perfection of our spiritual beingness? So, for us, there is this looking at healing. Where does our mind need to be healed? Because we're holding some other idea. And it's interesting to me because I'm just trying to find the words to this. That's it. <laughs> it's um, in in uh, unveiled mysteries. 
Uh, let's see, it's page 39, and it's the second paragraph where St. Germain says, the light from within one's own God flame is the criterion, the standard of perfection by which all thoughts and feelings that reach us through the five senses should be tested. No one can keep his thoughts and feelings qualified with perfection unless he goes to the source of perfection for that quality and perfection only abides within the God flame. So this is what A Course in Miracles talks about as being the altar within the temple. And the, the altar is that threefold flame in our heart. That's where our essential, eternal purity forever is. That's where we find our illumination. I'm just getting different, uh, not different, but I'm getting some insight here. So we're applying what A Course in Miracles teaches about creation and making things. So we are created in the spiritual image and likeness of God. Even our physical form is created in the spiritual image and likeness of form. Our etheric body, our mental body, our emotional body, our physical body are created in the spiritual image and likeness of our God self, of the I am presence. So this is our true identity. These subtle bodies that we use to manifest in this world, what uh, the sacred flames talks about is the four lower bodies, etheric, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So what I'm inviting everyone to do is start to focus on the purification of these four lower bodies and to hold a vision for that expression of that purity of these four lower bodies in our human life. So, for instance, there is the the part, we can look at this today again on page 38 in Unveiled Mysteries where St. Germain is talking about the God flame and our natural eternal youth and beauty, that we can bring this into physical manifestation. And this is what uh, is the transfiguration of all the belief in lack and limitation, that we can have physical transfiguration and resurrection as we're ascending, as we're accepting the atonement for ourselves. So we're claiming our perfection through our purification, purifying. All we have to do is purify 
our mind by recognizing that every false thought has no power unless we shine the light of our attention in it, unless we put our attention on it. It has no power. Unless we believe it, it has no power. So we're training ourselves to stop giving our power to that which is impure and unhelpful and causes our suffering. And we're at this place, most of us in our year three practice now, though some of us it's not year three anymore, it's year later and later. It, it doesn't matter. This is the same practice I'm doing all the time. And that is to consistently throughout the day <clears throat> shine the light of my attention and illuminate my perfection, my wholeness, my freedom. In A Course in Miracles, Chapter 2, paragraphs, uh, rather, section um Section 5, The Function of the Miracle Worker, paragraph 6, this is page 26. It should be emphasized again that the body does not learn any more than it creates. The body doesn't learn. It seems like it does. It seems like we learn, like if you watch a child and they reach for something, oh, they can't quite reach it or they're learning to reach for something and not fall over. And then first they reach for it and they fall over, so then they get back up again. And now they reach for it and they don't fall over, but they rock and they catch themselves. And then they reach for it again, and this time they can grab it. And so what's happening there is the sinews, the synapses, it seems like the body temple is learning. Right? It seems like the body is learning, that there's the sense memory. Only the mind. Body does not learn any more than it creates. As a learning device, the body merely follows the learner and it is falsely endowed with self-initiative. The body does not have initiative of its own. In fact, the body becomes a serious obstruction to the very learning it should facilitate. Only the mind is capable of illumination, right, which is projecting the light. Spirit is already illuminated, already the light. And the body in itself is too dense. It's too dense to be illuminated. Spirit is already illuminated. The mind, however, can bring its illumination to the body by recognizing that the body is not the learner and is therefore unamenable to learning. The body is, however, easily brought into alignment with a mind that has learned to look beyond the body toward the light. So this is the invitation that I'm offering to us now and to use visualization as the tool to bring us there. 
So Course in Miracles then in paragraph 7 on the same page, 26. Corrective learning, which is what we're actively engaged in, always begins with the awakening of spirit and the turning away from the belief in physical sight. So this is why we're opening ourselves. We've all, in in our class now, we've all purified our intentions enough that we can really do this work. So corrective learning always begins with the awakening of spirit and the turning away from the belief in physical sight. We've trained our mind enough that we can see with divine vision and see beyond what the body seems to see. (laughs) This often entails fear because you're afraid of what your spiritual sight will show you. So this is part of the the work that we're doing now, is still eliminating the fear of what spiritual sight will show you. So this And this is the block to healing. In fact, in this section, it gets to that. So Jesus says, I said before that the Holy Spirit cannot see error. It is capable only of looking beyond it to the defense of atonement. There is no doubt that this may produce discomfort yet the discomfort is not the final outcome of the perception. When the Holy Spirit is permitted to look upon the defilement of the altar, he also looks immediately toward the atonement. Nothing he perceives can induce fear. Everything that results from spiritual awareness is merely channelized toward correction. Discomfort is aroused only to bring the need for correction into awareness. So that's the divine alarm clock. Discomfort is aroused only to bring the need for correction into awareness. That's what I call the divine alarm clock. When we feel discomfort, it's to bring the need for correction into awareness. So that you well know by now. And then, so here's the point, paragraph eight. The fear of healing arises in the end from an unwillingness to accept unequivocally that healing is necessary. What the physical eye sees is not corrective, nor can error be corrected by any device that can be seen physically. As long as you believe in what your physical sight tells you, your attempts at correction will be misdirected. So I'm inviting all of us to see beyond the body's vision or what we perceive as the body's vision, what we see with our physical eye, to really see with divine sight, to begin to practice this as part of our walking the talk and living the love. So... Corrective learning always begins with the awakening of the spirit and turning away from the belief in physical sight. This often entails fear because you're afraid of what your spiritual sight will show you. We, so often we avoid looking deeply within to our heart and what it is we really feel, what it is we really believe. We wish to deny our feelings 
And we don't wish to do the journaling and talking with our prayer partners and contemplation because we actually are terrified of what we feel, what we believe, and what we're really thinking. Because uh, we are so used, used to making the conclusion that what we feel, what we believe, and what we're really thinking is evidence that we're bad, that we're wrong, that we're not good enough. So as it says, the fear of healing arises in the end from an unwillingness to accept unequivocally that healing is necessary. So healing is necessary. You know, it's one of these um, paradoxes of A Course in Miracles. We're already perfect. We're already as whole as whole and holy as holy can be, and yet healing is necessary. But all healing is at the level of the mind, not at the level of the spirit, at the level of the mind, which is where our, our beliefs reside. So it says a little bit later in paragraph nine here, healing is an ability that developed after the separation, before which it was unnecessary. And what I really love about this unveiled mysteries is the whole um, part about how it was that we really came to experience this separation. And how that all went down. So now we are reclaiming our divine vision. We're reclaiming our eternal youth and beauty, our natural luminosity through holding a vision. Of how we wish to be in this world being our true self. Anybody have anything to share or a comment, a question at this point? Chapter 2, still, Section 3, it's page 22, Paragraph 4, Spiritual vision literally cannot see error and merely looks for atonement. All solutions the physical eye seeks dissolve. Spiritual vision looks within and recognizes immediately that the actual, um, excuse me, that the altar has been defiled and needs to be repaired and protected. So remember, the altar is, is our heart. It needs to be repaired and protected. Perfectly aware of the right defense, spiritual vision passes over all others, looking past error to truth, because the strength of its vision excuse me, because of the strength of its vision, it brings the mind into its service. 
This reestablishes the power of the mind and makes it, makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay, realizing that it only adds unnecessary pain. So we all have challenges in our life, in our relationships, in our physical body. And what we're all noticing is that it's increasingly intolerable to delay our waking up. As a result, the mind becomes increasingly sensitive to what it would once have regarded as very minor intrusions of discomfort. So we become more and more sensitive like the princess and the pea. Again, the divine alarm clock. We learn to be grateful for this. I am so grateful and thankful. I can no longer tolerate my suffering. I'm so grateful and so thankful. I can no longer feel comfortable judging and excluding. So spiritual vision literally cannot see error and looks merely for the atonement. So in holding a divine vision for our life, or even for an activity in our life, using the teachings in Unveiled Mystery, I think I'm just going to uh, see if I can mute her from my phone. Oh, looks like she's she's good. Spiritual vision cannot see error and merely looks for the atonement. Only looks for the atonement. So what is the atonement? It's the full acceptance that there is no separation. That's what spiritual vision does. So in writing out your vision and contemplating it, in allowing it to really be something that you steep yourself in and feel that vibration of as you're discovering it and holding it, look for the places in what you're holding in your mind in this vision where your vision is actually focused on seeing the error and then correcting it. And see if you can go right to the perfection. So, for instance, in A Course of Miracles, the teaching is to recognize that we don't first look at, oh, you know what, they hurt me, they did something wrong and bad, but I'm going to forgive them. We don't first affirm the error and then forgive it. The true forgiveness recognizes there is no error. So true vision recognizes 
there is no error. Spiritual vision literally cannot see error and merely looks for atonement. So again, this is page 22, paragraph 4. It's section 3, paragraph 4. And it's the altar of God, which talks about the body temple. And that's a good place for us to really work with the vision. Seeing our body temple as this manifestation of our divine wholeness and perfection. Becoming vigilant in our mind for how we hold the body temple. This can be a great help to us in our training. And for, I would say, for every single one of us, it is. Because even if we're experiencing perfect health in the body temple, we often have judgments about the body temple not being attractive in some way or being unattractive in some way or deficient in some way. So looking to see with divine vision and so going back now to Unveiled Mysteries where it says on page 38 eternal youth is the flame of God abiding in the beauty excuse me eternal youth is the flame of God abiding in the body of man, the Father's gift of himself to his creation. Youth and beauty of both mind and body can only be kept permanently by those individuals who are strong enough to shut out discord. And whoever does that can and will express perfection and maintain it. Where peace, love, and light do not abide within the thoughts and feelings of a human being, no amount of physical effort can possibly keep the outer self expressing youth and beauty. These exist eternally within the God flame, which is the divine self of every individual. Whatever discord the outer self allows to flash through the thought and feeling is that instant stamped upon the flesh of the physical body. Eternal youth and beauty are self-created and forever self-existent within the flame of God's life in every human being. This is God's plan for manifesting his perfection into the world of form and maintaining it forever. Youth, beauty, and perfection are attributes of love, which the God principle is continuously pouring forth into its creation. So it's constant, like the flames, the unfed flames that are in the temples of the sacred flames. That flame is in our heart because it's our true nature. Within each individual is placed the power and means 
for maintaining and increasing that perfect, ever-expanding activity of creation. So within each individual is placed the power and means for maintaining and increasing our youth, beauty, and perfection. And so this is what the Ascended Masters demonstrate. And in some other texts we may look at, um, there are examples of people who have gone through the process of transfiguration, which is the resurrection of the perfection of the physical, emotional, and mental bodies so that they appear in this world as eternally useful, radiant, luminous. And they literally will live as long as they would choose to. They've transcended mortality. And this is what we're being called to now is to give up the idea of death. Now, it may well be that some of us, like Yogananda, like Yogananda's teacher, and other examples in this world, they're complete in their physical journey. And so they shuffle off the mortal coil and move into fifth-dimensional ascended master status. But you'll notice that Yogananda's example, he did not go through illness and die. He literally laid the body down and said, I'm done. And so now I'm going to make my transition. So thinking about giving yourself this choice, for me, I've really come to realize as I do this work that that this is exactly what I would like to do. Transfiguration, this is what I'm, I'm doing. I'm working on this for myself personally. Transfiguration of the body temple that illumination in my mind that allows me to transfigure the body temple, resurrect to my spiritual identity physically, emotionally, mentally, etherically, so that I can literally be here of service in this earthly domain for hundreds of years or till whenever it doesn't seem valuable or necessary anymore. I'm not interested in incarnating again and going through the whole <laughs> growing up process. Although I'm certainly open in my mind if that came into my awareness, oh, have another lifetime, have another go at it, be born again. I'd certainly be willing to. I'm not against it. I just, it doesn't feel like what I'm to do. I feel like 
I am to demonstrate that transfiguration. So that we can all recognize, yes, this is possible for us. So to me, it does start with this holding this divine vision. Nothing becomes manifest in this world without first that impetus in thought. So putting my attention on that, ascension, resurrection, transfiguration, illumination. Because the whole belief in death is a result of a belief in separation. And as it says in this section on the body temple in chapter 2 of A Course in Miracles, the altar of God. The atonement can only, this is paragraph 1, the atonement can only be accepted within you by releasing the inner light. This is page 21. Since the separate, since the separation, defenses have been used almost entirely to defend against the atonement, and thus maintain the separation. This is generally seen as a need to protect the body. The many body fantasies in which minds engage arise from the distorted belief that the body can be used as a means for attaining atonement. Perceiving the body as a temple is only the first step in correcting the distortion because it alters only part of it. So let's recognize that what this is also telling us is perceiving the body as a temple is the first step in correcting the distortion. And then it says later that a temple is not a structure at all. Its true holiness lies at the inner altar around which the structure is built. The emphasis on beautiful structures, beautiful bodies, is a sign of the fear of atonement and an unwillingness to reach the altar itself, the altar being our heart. The real beauty of the temple cannot be seen with the physical eye. So the real beauty of our body temple cannot be seen with the physical eye. Spiritual sight, on the other hand, cannot see the structure at all because it is perfect vision. It can, however, see the altar with perfect clarity. So this is why the Holy Spirit sees no error. Because it sees with perfect clarity our perfection that is our essential nature that is that threefold flame in our heart. So this is the vision that we're cultivating. A life where everything emanates from this, from this awareness. So there may be many layers of writing and contemplation that are a shedding of false beliefs as we work on this divine vision and really allow it to be revealed to us. Because the higher Holy Spirit self, the I am presence, already holds vision for us. 
So we're looking at all of this experience of writing a vision, holding a vision, feeling it, trying different versions of it on. It's part of our purification process, and it's part of our eliminating seeing with the body's eyes and tuning into being able to see with spiritual vision. So this work is really it's a journey. It's many steps on a. It's part of a whole journey of purifying our vision, having clarity in our awareness. So the process of cultivating this vision is deeply healing. Anybody like to share or comment or ask a question? Well, um, may I make a personal small point? I feel that sometimes I I may be in contemplation and I have a certain vision and then it just seems to, in the daily life or grind, it seems to float away and I have to make a, it's important for me to make more time again and again to contemplate and the vision there is a certain type of vision available then. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and this is how the divine alarm clock helps us to realize we've lost touch with that thread of vision. We've moved into separation. So in uh, Unveiled Mysteries on page 39, it says, um, talking about the, the revelation of our perfection, it says, this is the individual's need for meditation upon and communion with the light of God within himself. Pure life essence will not only give and sustain eternal youth and beauty in the body, but will enable you to maintain perfect balance between your God self and the outer or personal self. So it's possible for us to do this. And I really feel this is what we're being called to do. In fact, this pure life energy, it says, is the power which the outer self uses to hold its connection with its divine source, the God self. In reality, these two are one, except when the intellect or outer activity of the mind, the sense consciousness, accepts imperfection, inharmony, incompleteness, or thinks itself a creation apart from the all-pervading one presence of life. In other words, 
This pure life energy is the power which the outer self uses to hold its connection with its divine source, the God self. In reality, these two are one, except when the intellect entertains judgments and opinions of imperfection. So it says, if the sense consciousness, so the physical body and thinking we're body, if the personality, if the sense consciousness thinks itself something separate from God perfection, then that condition is established unto it for what the sense consciousness thinks into its world, the world returns to it. So this is projection. When one lets an idea of imperfection or separation from God occupy its attention and therefore his mind, a a condition corresponding to that begins to express itself in his body and world. It has to. So the first way, as you well know, I talk about the divine alarm clock going off. First, the it's like if you think of an oyster and the grain of sand and then the oyster creates the pearl around it. So the first place that grain of sand shows up is in our thought, right? Magnetized into our mind by our belief system. Why do we magnetize these thoughts into our beliefs, into our mind, except to show us the belief system so that we will see these thoughts showing up in our mind and say, oh, I don't wish to energize that. That belief system is the meaning that I made of something in the past that was incorrect. Now I'm choosing the truth. But if we don't do that, then our mind becomes agitated. And if we don't stop it at the level of the mind, then our emotional body becomes agitated. If we don't interrupt the pattern at that emotional upset level, then it travels into the physical body. So going back to... Unveiled Mysteries. When one lets an idea of imperfection or separation from God occupy his attention, a condition corresponding to that begins to express itself in his body. That's usually where we feel emotions first. And world. This causes the person to feel himself as an entity apart from his source. Separate. The moment he thinks himself separated from God, he thinks his life, intelligence, and power has beginning and end. In other words, birth and death. He says, life always has been, is now, and always will be. No one can really destroy life. Through various activities in the mental and physical world, Form can be disintegrated or temporarily demolished, but the consciousness of the individual is eternal and can control all substance everywhere in manifestation when the God life within is acknowledged as the knower, 
giver and doer of all good in creation. So you think of um, the stories here in Unveiled Mysteries of the, the beings who were living these eternal lives manifest in form. Who, when they would like to have a banquet, the banquet appears. When they would like to have physical light illuminating the room, the lights appear. This is ascended mastery where you don't have any need because if there's something you'd like to experience or express, you call it into manifestation because you don't have any belief in separation. You don't have any belief of unworthiness. You can call it into manifestation. So this is the, the we're returning to spiritual sight, divine vision, so that we can really practice this and live it. The more that we purify our vision of ourselves, and practice seeing the way the Holy Spirit sees, not recognizing any error, the easier this becomes. And the more we see the transformation and the transfiguration happening. So we have these tools of working with the sacred planes, the prayers of the sacred planes, Anyone who doesn't feel worthy of the perfection and the wholeness is, of course, not going to be working with these prayers wholeheartedly if we're not energizing them with our heart, really holding it in our heart, even a little bit. Then doing the prayers just becomes just saying words. However, it's, if, even if we're just saying the words and we're not putting our heart into it, it's still going to bring its value. And this is what Jesus says about doing the lessons in the workbook. You don't have to believe it, just do it. Because by just doing it, at least we're demonstrating our willingness, our intention to be willing. And that little bit of willingness will begin to purify the heart and the mind. Now, in Sacred Flames, uh, they give us these meditations to go to the, the healing temples of the Sacred Flames and simply reside there for a time, even if it's for a moment or you all remember the uh, healing meditation of the blue flame where we connected with the blue flame diamond. And at any point, we can just consciously connect with that blue flame diamond and open the diamond in our heart to release any fears that we're holding on to there. And allow them to be magnetized by the blue flame diamond in that temple of divine will. These practices only work if we practice them. 
And the more we do, the more we feel them. So this is one of the reasons why I suggest that we all do the temple work in our dream time and go to sleep in the flames, call the flames around us all day long. Become very aware of when we're energizing the imperfections of our perceived imperfections of ourselves and others and to drop it immediately and go back to divine vision. Even if all we do is in that moment say, I am that I am, Holy Spirit, show me the divine vision of myself, of this person, of all beings. So we're becoming more devoted. To become an ascended master, which we're on the track to do, to accept the atonement for ourselves and to ascend in our awareness, we must first be devoted. Devoted to the God self, our own God nature. So that's the, you're so right, Anna Marie, and it, to me, it can get simpler and simpler. It, it, it's not that we have to go to a special place and sit down or even say a special prayer. It's so much it's the desire of our heart in that moment to know the truth that sets us free. Anybody else? Or Anna Marie, any more comments? Any more thoughts? In the sacred flames, one of the recommendations is to just take a few minutes, five, ten, fifteen minutes. Um, at points during the day and to lie down and allow ourselves to be restored and recharged by the sacred flames, by the healing flame, by the resurrection flame, by the ascension flame, whatever feels appropriate in that moment. And what I really like about these practices is I always call for all beings, every particle of life on earth. And for me, I really experience that the more I do that, sharing the benefits with others, the more healing I personally experience. Because the healing of the mind's belief in separation results in the mind's awareness of unification, unity. So affirming the unity of all life, caring about every particle of life on earth, for me is part of my relinquishing the belief in separation. So we resist healing in part because we are afraid to look at the judgments that we have about ourselves. 
So this is why I recommend to everyone really writing down the judgments that you have about yourself, writing down the judgments that you have about others, and making an offering of them, placing them on the altar. Remember always that awareness is curative. So beautiful in the year one class. People have been willing to share in class um, some of their intense judgments against themselves and their loved ones. It's it's deeply transformational for them and for others because they're willing to really bring it to the light by articulating it and to release the shame of thinking they have to hide it or it's unspiritual. And that just keeps going on and on and on. I still find layers of that in myself. Ancient belief in unworthiness, being healed right here and now. I wonder, does the thought of transfiguration bring up anything for anyone? No, when you we say transfiguration, I always think of the scene in the Bible when Jesus um, ascends. I mean to. As, as we think, ascends to the heaven, to heaven, and uh, the apostles they watch him disappear. But I don't know if that's uh, somehow if we should we have a different sense of looking at transfiguration. At least I cannot imagine myself that way, you know. Right, yes. I'm glad you you brought that up. So transfiguration can also be a complete transformation of the body temple right in the moment. A healing of every cell, fiber, and function of the body temple so that it expresses the perfection of God. So what what keeps coming to me is if you remember in Disappearance of the Universe, Gary describes Persa as being this incredibly beautiful, radiant woman. Um, The body that she is manifesting in form is one that has that appearance of transfiguration beautiful, radiant, but actual physical form. And if you um, have read um, Autobiography of a Yogi, then you, just one place where there are stories, uh, Parmanasi Yogananda has stories of uh, the teachers 
who can bilocate. So they're able to take their body from one place to another in a quantum movement. And so when the mind is awake, that that is possible to, to have to bilocate, to be in two places at the same time, or to take the body and move it from one place to another in a moment and move it back again, and distance is no issue. So in uh, the result of transfiguration is just to have a body that's capable of that movement because it's not about the body, it's about the mind. So when the mind is renewed and restored, then the transfiguration of the body is actually possible, and we can do that. We can also lay the body down like Yogananda did. So, or you can do what Jesus did, which is to ascend. So he had transfiguration of the body to demonstrate that for all of us, and then he ascended. Any other Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say anything else you'd like to share on that. I believe that I read in the Aquarian Gospel that Jesus went to Asia, and uh, that must have been the way he transformed himself to go with, I think, Magdalene and himself went to Nepal or something like that. At least it yes. seems to me that's where I read it. Yeah, in in there, um, remember, Aquarian Gospel is uh, a translation from the Akashic Records. And yes, it talks about him traveling all over the East and studying uh, with in India, in Tibet, and all over. And one of the things it, it also talks about in there is he also was a teacher wherever he went. Good. Yes. He was both student and teacher. And even in gatherings with other beings, uh, the great masters or wisdom teachers of that age, he was still the student and the teacher. And then he attained the Christ. He remembered his Christhood. He fully remembered it. Fully attained that. And there was the whole experience of that that's in the Aquarian Gospel.
All right. We are at time here. I'm going to see if I've got oh, – it doesn't look like I have any internet at all. I'm going to pray us out, and then I'm going to add this beautiful version of Bridge Over Troubled Water with Mary J. Blige and um, uh, what's his name, Andrea, um, the opera singer. Uh, I want to say Botticelli, but that's not quite it. Does anybody know his name? All right, I'll, I'll look it up here while um, uh, I pray. Ah, so we're grateful and we're thankful to cross that rainbow bridge, to open our hearts and minds to our true identity, the love of God revealing itself in our awareness. So grateful that it is our nature to awaken to our divinity and the divinity of all life. We are choosing to awaken. We are choosing transcendence, transformation, the healing of the body temple, the healing of the emotional body, the healing of the mind. Surrendering the beliefs that no longer serve us. We put the I am presence in charge of this divine vision for our life. We're willing to download it, to embrace it, and to embody it. We are willing to recognize I am that I am. And we are not born to die. We are eternal. We are grateful and thankful to choose ascension, to choose transformation and transfiguration. We're choosing our true identity. Grateful and thankful right here and right now for our healing. In grace and gratitude, we are willing to see with divine vision, to see the holy vision that the Holy Spirit has for us. So grateful to know that this is our true nature and our true identity and we're willing to be our true self. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. And the song is, um, of course, Paul Simon wrote Bridge Over Troubled Water. I think this is the most beautiful version I've ever heard. And it is um, sung by Mary J. Blige and Andrea Bocelli. And I'm going to see if I can play it from here on my phone. Se hai paura Piangerai E dentro gli occhi tuoi La nebbia vedrai 